Folks, I'm going to ask you, if you have a Bible in front of you, to please turn with me to James 5, verse 7 to 11. Patience in suffering. Okay, now, whether it's um, through bombings and uh, deadly persecution in places like Egypt or Pakistan, or whether it's through less overt persecution in this country, or whether it's through bereavement or illness or unemployment. One thing's for sure, the topic of tonight's section of scripture needs to be close to the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. Because tonight the theme, the topic, the subject is how we respond to suffering. How we respond to suffering. Now, we began last week's sermon by noticing a change in who it was that, that, that James was addressing in this letter. Remember that? And at the start of chapter 5, he kind of switches and he goes from writing to Christians. And then do you remember what happened? He started writing to, what do we call them? The unrighteous rich. Well, as we started this evening, what we've got to notice, first of all, is that that's reversed again. Okay? And he goes back in this section to addressing believers once again. And you can see that straight away in the opening verse, verse 7, because look what he does. He goes back to that really warm and loving address. He calls his readership, what? Brothers. Brothers. Right to Christians. In fact, let's think about it like this. (coughs) In some ways, what James is doing here is the flip side or the other side of what he was doing last time around. See what I mean? Last time he was looking and addressing rich oppressors. What's he doing here? He's looking at the other side of that. He's looking or he has a word for suffering oppressed. So from rich oppressors and addressing them, he now flips to the Christians, the suffering oppressed. Okay, let's look at this. Let's think about three things here. And since we're clearly on such a a role uh, with having sort of theological uh, terminology in our sermon headings, let's do it again. And uh, our first point this evening is this. Point one, patience until the parousia. Patience until the parousia. Now, what am I talking about? What what do I mean by the parousia? I mean the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. First point, patience until then. Patience until the parousia. Okay, now, 
<coughs> sometimes when we're studying scripture, it's almost like we've got to get our shovels out and we've got to dig really deeply to try and get the sort of main theme and the, the main points of scripture. As with this morning and uh, Genesis chapter 10. Well, that is definitely not the case here, is it? Because James wastes no time at all in kind of uh, displaying uh, the main theme of the section. Straight away, and it's the very first word in the Greek, straight away, James sets out his stall. Have a look. Straight away sets out his main point. His first words for the suffering and the distress tonight, what are they? Be patient. And not only does he get to the point very, very quickly, he also repeats his point time and time again. You see, that word patience, or words very similar to it, they're used in verse 7. Verse 8, verse 10, Verse 11, clearly James wants to drum home his point here, his main point, which is that in times of hardship, in times of difficulty, the Christian must display godly patience. That is his main theme. But it's James. So he doesn't just leave it there, does he? Because he also tells us here, folks, what to pin, what to fix our patience on. Doesn't he? Look at verse 7 again, the the opening verse. What does it say? (coughs) Do you see it? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. He draws... Our attention tonight to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to take anything for granted this evening. So, what is he talking about? What is the second coming? Well, friends, he's talking about the promise. He's talking about the promise that Jesus Christ has made. The promise to return. The promise that after his death, resurrection and ascension to his Father's right hand, that one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back. That is going to happen. One day a scripture promises that the Son of Man will appear in the clouds. That day will be witnessed by every single living soul on this planet. That majestic display. And on that day, the people of God will be called up to the skies to meet with their saviour. That is what James is talking about here. That is the second coming. The question, I guess, we've got to ask is why is he talking about it just now? You see, what's the connection between the second coming of Jesus and patience in the face of suffering? What's the connection between the two things? Well, to make his point, what does he do? Well, he provides one of these helpful, loving sermon illustrations that we've seen before. We've got a sermon illustration from James. This time, it's the illustration of a 
farmer. Okay? A farmer. Now, friends, when I was studying at the Free Church College a few years ago, seems like a long time ago, um, I was studying with uh, a good group of guys. But I was sort of surrounded by, by guys from sort of farming backgrounds. You know, guys from rural congregations. Guys that had wisdom and incredible insight into the sort of agricultural uh, pictures and illustrations of scripture. I'll tell you this, I know nothing about farming. You know, I couldn't tell the difference between a sheep and a, a John Deere tractor. I know not the slightest thing about it, but even I can see what James's point is here. I mean, I have a look at it. We've got a, a picture of a farmer waiting patiently for his crop, don't we? Now, this farmer, he can't affect the growth of the crop. He can't make his crop grow. So what he does is he waits. He is patient in the provision of the Lord. And so James takes that and he speaks and he speaks to, think about it, he speaks to these sort of oppressed Christians in the early church. He speaks to these people who are suffering at the hands of these sort of ruthless employers. And he says to them, friends, just like the farmer, you too be patient. You too can have no or very little effect on the current persecution you are facing, on the current difficulty. So like the farmer, be patient, trust in the Lord, and wait for the perfect justice that will accompany the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, with that, let's try and unpick unpack this and see what it means for our lives tonight. Now, I'll ask you a question. For the believers here, for the children of God, I'll ask you this. Is the second coming of Jesus Christ something upon which your heart is fixed? Is it? Is the Return of Jesus Christ, something you think about more than that, something that you are thankful for, something that drives you to gratitude in prayer before your God, that your Savior is coming back for you. Is it? Is the nearness and the imminency of Christ's return something that inspires a kind of sense of urgency for you. Christ is coming back soon, we're told here. Now, does that inspire urgency in your life? In your witness? In your evangelism? Is your heart fixed upon the fact that Christ is coming back? But more than that, can I say to the person that's here tonight, who is going through hardship. A person tonight who's going through difficulty, can I say to you, 
Do you see in these verses in James that you need to be focused on the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's not just an added bonus. You need to be focused on it. Why? Because hear this. The parousia provides perspective. Get that? The parousia provides perspective. Now what does that mean? Well you see, so often when when we're going through a a difficult time, when we're going through a, a troubled time, these kind of present sufferings can seem almost unending. Can't they? It can seem that they go on and on and on. They're continual. But you see, when we focus on the return of Jesus Christ, something happens, doesn't it? When we focus on the, think about it, the eternity that Jesus Christ's return will usher in. Something changes. Suddenly, we begin to look at our current sufferings and we begin to look at our current difficulties and they might be terrible, they might be awful, and they they are, I'm sure. But we begin to see that when compared with eternity as temporary, don't we? We begin to see them as, as fleeting, as passing. As Paul says in Second Corinthians, our troubles are what? Our troubles are light and momentary when compared to the eternal glory that is coming to us. So it's saying. Are you just now becoming frustrated with your God? You know, are you frustrated with God's timing? Or this apparent delay in answer prayer? If that's you tonight, then heed what James is saying here. Be patient. And view that situation you are in through the lens of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, so patience until the parousia. Okay, James moves on, doesn't he? And then he he moves on to address something else. He addresses who it is that we need to be patient with during times of difficulty. So our second point, we've had patience until the parousia. Our second point is patience with our peers. Patience with our peers. And again, if your Bibles are there, um, the focus for this is just one verse, really. We're going to try and dig a bit deeper into one verse. And it's verse 9. Because look what James says there. He says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Don't grumble against each other, brothers. Now, last week in church, I think I'm safe to say this, because the chap was a visitor. But uh, last week in church, I was speaking to a guy, 
and we had a good conversation, and we were speaking about the church. And the chap was very interesting, very pleasant, but he did say that he only knew one thing about Presbyterianism. And he said the thing that he knew was that we love to squabble and uh, divide. And he said that we love to squabble with each other. That was his some knowledge of Presbyterianism. And whether he's right or not, um, that's the sort of thing that we've got to think about here. That's the sort of thing that James is talking about. Because when he's talking about patience, it's not just a general not losing our patience that he's talking about. He's specifically concerned here with us not losing our patience with each other. Within the church. Because look what he says. It's that verse, verse 9, is emphasised. He says, don't grumble, but he doesn't leave it there. He's don't grumble with each other. But then do you know what he does? He picks up his highlighter pen and he emphasises it. Doesn't he? Because he says, don't grumble with each other, brothers. So, we might like to, but there is no getting away from the fact that this is about losing patience with the saints. Okay, so what does that look like? What does that involve, losing patience with the saints? Well, again, verse 9, look at the word that he uses to describe this losing patience. You see the word? That's a great word. I love saying it. Grumbling. That's the word he uses. Grumbling. So what does that mean? Well, that isn't becoming annoyed with a Christian, biting our tongues, turning around and walking away. That's not grumbling. No, this is here a lashing out verbally. That's what James is talking about. In fact, I'm pretty sure that everyone in here knows exactly what James is talking about, isn't he? It's the situation... When things are going against us, of us taking it out on those closest to us. That's what he's talking about. The situation of when the pressure's on, you know, when things are difficult, our temptation to lose our temper and to lose our patience with the people nearest us, the people we love. And there's a great kind of biblical example of that. Folks, think about the Old Testament. Think about the Old Testament people of God. Think about the Exodus. And that sort of trying and, you know, that hard, difficult situation. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, we learn that during that period, some of the people of God, they grumbled. They squabbled. They fought with each other. Now, to apply that, we have to be very, very honest with ourselves tonight, don't we? Are we grumblers? 
Are you a grumbler? More specifically than that, are you a grumbler here in the church? You know, do you kind of uh, verbalize your frustrations that you've got with your brothers and sisters? You know, when the pressure's on, when things are difficult, do you snap at those closest to you? Is that you? Well, if so, there's a couple of reasons why that's a very, very dangerous thing to be. Okay? One, grumbling blocks church growth. It does, doesn't it? You know, grumbling, it's an obstacle to church expansion. I mean, think about that. Think about it sort of practically. Practically, it's obvious. Isn't it? People are not going to come into a congregation. They're not going to remain in a congregation if that congregation is characterized by bickering and fighting and impatience with each other. Nobody's going to want to be in a congregation like that. But spiritually, it's also the case, isn't it? If there is impatience with each other in the life of the church, then surely it's true that God is not going to bless the work, the witness of that church, or the spiritual lives within the church. Grumbling blocks church growth. It's the first danger. The second danger this gets me. Because we learn here that grumbling leads to God's judgment. It leads to God's judgment. Listen to verse 9 again. James says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or, what's the consequences? Or, you will be judged. I mean, he's, again, he's not sugar-coating it, is he? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. If we take out our frustrations on each other, even when things are hard in our lives, we face the judgment of God. Now, as a wiser man than I said, this judgment is not about our salvation. This judgment is about our reward. But nevertheless, this is important, isn't it? Nevertheless, it's a a scary, shocking thought that if we lash out at those closest to us, the judge is standing at the door and we will be held accountable for our actions. So the second thing is we must have patience with our peers. Patience with our peers. Okay, patience with her, patience until the parousia. That was the first one there, patience with our peers. We conclude this evening uh, just by looking at a third thing, and that is patience of the prophets. Patience of the prophets, because, (coughs) excuse me, as James 
ends the section here, he does so by lifting up for our attention two examples of patience in action. We've got here two examples to follow. What are they? Do you see them? Firstly, in verse 10, we have got the example of Old Testament prophets. We've got mention of men like Amos. Men like Ezekiel, men like Isaiah, men who were persecuted because they preached the word of God. We've got men like Jeremiah, a man who suffered immeasurably. Think about Jeremiah. He suffered at the hand of pagan kings. Then he suffered at the hands of the people of God. So we've got these Old Testament prophets, but look at verse 11. There's then this specific mention of one man, the Old Testament figure, Job. Now, I'll not put you on the spot, but you all know the story of Job, don't you? Yeah. Job was a man who suffered. Job was a man who lost his wife. And Job was a man who lost his kids. He was a guy who lost all his possessions. He was a man who, who had such difficulty that he lost absolutely everything he had. You know, what suffering James takes us to here. It's a real cast list of hardship, isn't it? But why? And why... Why does James mention them here? He does so to give you hope. That's why he mentions these people here. You see, these Old Testament characters, they were not just examples of people who suffered. They were not just examples of people who were patient in suffering. Do you know what they were examples of? They were examples of people who were blessed by God because of the patience they showed. That is why James mentions them here. That is the emphasis here. That's the reason for the examples. James proclaims, get this, that blessing comes to those who endure hardship. Those who who trust in God. Look at verse 11, it spells it out. As you know, verse 11, we consider blessed those who have persevered. They are blessed by God. So with that, let me again address the person in this room tonight who is going through hardship, who is going through difficulty, who is impatient with God. And let me say two things to you. One, in your suffering, pour over Scripture. In your suffering, immerse yourself in it. Spend all your time in Scripture. You see, that's what James is encouraging here, isn't it? He sends us, in our suffering, to the great men of faith. So I'd say to you tonight, you go through a tough time? Well, go there too. Go to Jeremiah. 
Go to Job. Go to these people who are blessed by God because of their patience in the face of suffering. Pour over scripture. And the second and last thing tonight, in your suffering, persevere in Christ. Persevere in Christ. You see, sometimes in suffering, we can almost wonder if we will be able to get through. Sometimes in suffering, we worry if these things are just too much for us, that we might not have the strength and the capability to carry on. Well, you see, at times like that, we have to cling to the marvellous statement that James makes here about our Saviour. Look what he says. Verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, Christ suffered. He suffered. And through it all, he remained patient. Think about his earthly ministry. Christ was patient with children. Christ was patient when his disciples lacked any understanding. He was patient with the crowds that came and wanted to make him king. Christ was patient with the mob who came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was patient when they took his hands and they nailed them to a cross. He was patient in his dying breath And as your salvation testifies too, he has already been patient with you. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So I would say to you tonight, in your present difficulty, lean on Jesus Christ and be patient until that time where he returns to take you home. Let's pray.